And so I actually ended up dropping out of high school, not once, but twice. I never graduated. And while all my friends were off to college, I was living with my parents, gaming up to 16 hours a day in their basement. I remember I was, I was drunk when they handed me my son in the hospital. They didn't know I was drunk. I worked with people who could stay abstinent from crack cocaine. And then they went back to prison because they could not stay abstinent from marijuana. They will send inappropriate pictures, primarily of their body parts. Our teens will send back their naked pictures or partially naked pictures. I had overdosed in eighth grade. I think that was shortly after I was suspended. Our teens are going through their hardest life transition in a world of rapid change and information anarchy. These are their stories and the advice from experts dedicated to helping them. Welcome to Beyond Risk and Back. Fucking idiots. <laughs> that's, that's how I'm going to start this show. Because I, the last marijuana podcast I did, um, I interviewed this wonderful woman after I'd interviewed her husband. Uh, and this woman came on and bared her heart and soul about what it was like to be lied to for 20 years and um, what it was like to uh, be married to someone who was struggling with their marijuana use. And uh, she talked very openly and honestly and plainly about uh, the impact on her and her family and how she's relying on her faith and uh, the strength of her love for her husband uh, to get them through. And the first comment on Facebook after the release of that podcast was fucking idiots. I went to that guy's Facebook page to see what kind of guy he was. He was um, older than 33, white male. And based on his uh, profile, you could easily deduce that he was a fan of marijuana. So I find myself being cast into the role as the opponent. And you know what? I'm going to gladly take it on. I was a dealer. I was a everyday, multiple times a day user. I was a grower. Um, I traded using marijuana for jobs. I traded respect of my family for marijuana. I traded my marriage for marijuana and I traded uh, custody of my daughter for marijuana. Marijuana was more important to me and smoking it, continuing to smoke it was more important to me than all those things. So to the people out there who are going to listen to the first five minutes of this podcast and then not be able to pay attention because they've blown their ability to pay attention because they smoke so much pot, I'm going to say this out front. I voted for medical marijuana. I would vote for medical marijuana again with uh, pretty strict conditions. I don't care whether marijuana is addictive or not. I don't care whether it's a gateway drug or not. I don't care. I know what I did so I could keep smoking it. I know what a child will do so that they can keep smoking it. And I know what marijuana smokers will say to people who don't smoke it when they feel that my commentary or someone else's commentary or belief that it's not the, the savior of the universe uh, might threaten their ability to get their marijuana. 
I know that marijuana is on a path of legalization, but it's out of control. And with the way that people who use it a lot talk to the people who don't, they're out of control. And I used to be one of them. So you may argue with me all you want. But to, uh, but to help bring some clarity to the argument, I brought on a man I met. I had first watched his TED Talk. I was uh, suggested towards it, and I went and watched it. I really liked him. Then I had an opportunity to meet him at a conference, and he gave me a copy of his book. His book is called Weed, Inc. And this is what happens when capitalism meets marijuana. And I want you to see it. I want you to hear it. I want you to read this book. If you really are open-minded and it's all good, bro, and you really are into the peace and love, and if it's really not hurting anybody, then you got some time. You got some time on your hands to take a look at this and see if you still agree. And if you do, fine, keep going. But I want parents, teachers, and clinicians to also have Ben's eyes on what's going on here. Because he has... Uh, He's written a book about what this marijuana industry is, who's actually involved in it, and uh, the kind of money that's being made, and the tactics being used to make sure it gets into your hands. So you know what? The token trolls and the, the, uh, the, the, the pot brownie eaters and whatever you want to call yourself now, I don't care. Go ahead. Troll me all you want on Facebook. I can handle it. This, this podcast isn't for you. It's for the parents whose kids are uh, blowing it. It's for teachers who are uh, trying to teach and uh, kids who are stoned are messing it up. And it's for the clinicians who don't know how to confront the conversation about legalized marijuana. This is Beyond Risk and Back. And my guest today is Ben Court, author of Weed, Inc. Ben, thanks for being right here in the studio with me. I appreciate you, dude. Perfect day to ride up, man. Thanks for having me. It's my pleasure. It's my pleasure. All right. I want to get right into it because uh, I think we have a lot of things in agreement. So anybody who's feeling uh, double teamed by us, I, I think that might be fair for them. Uh, one of my responses to a lot of the things on Facebook, and I know this comment's going to get you started, but one of my one of my comments to a lot of people is, do you think for a second that Congress these these wealthy white men have given uh, uh, the rebels a win. Do do people actually think that rich white men are not becoming richer by legalizing this? This has money attached to it, and money goes places. This is not some hand-me-down. Uh, let's give them one. Or it could be the first time in the history of. Ever that it is. <laughs> no, man, m m money drives everything. We all think back to many of our favorite lyrics. Cash drives everything around me. Like we we know that money drives politics. We know it drives so much of our behavior. And no, this isn't a win for the little guy. This isn't a thumb in the eye of corporate America and screw you politicians. This is um, is another money grab by corporate interests. Simple. So it, I believe that they had withheld it long enough. They had limited supply effectively enough. They had created the, um, the, the, the excitement that comes with being sneaky long enough that 
I remember watching when it was legalized. There was a video um, on one of the news channels. And, yes. And there was a room full of people and they were watching the vote come in. And when it when it was passed, I saw a man celebrating with his daughter. Uh, she was two. And he's jumping up and down while he's holding her like, yay, yay, yay like prohibition had been lifted. And when you ask a pot smoker, prohibition has been lifted. But that celebration, watching that father with his daughter, knowing what I've gone through, uh, that that made me ill. So if this isn't a win for the little man, and this is a money grab, off the top of your head, in the state of Colorado, who's making money on this? Um, Marijuana Policy Project, the Drug Policy Alliance, and the... 20 guys who own the majority of the stores here. Um, the folks who own 15, 16, 17 dispensaries who are consolidating right now as we speak. Um, at this point, a lot of them are Coloradans, except for one guy who's actually from New Zealand, and I'm not sure how he's able to own them. Um, Lord is his name, John Lord, I think. But it's uh, 40, 50, 60 year old white men who came from money because you have to have money to get into this game. You can't go and get a loan. Um, so it's people who had means uh, prior to who are now increasing those means by selling this substance. I joked a lot that a lot of people owned or, or opened grow-ops when it became legalized. And then by the time tax season rolled around the next year, they were shutting down because they had forgotten they had to pay taxes too. But they didn't all shut down. Most of them got bought out. Yeah. Yeah, there's been a huge consolidation that's happened inside of Colorado. So I think a lot of this started out mom and pop, especially back in 09 when we went medicinal. Right. Um, well, we'd gone medicinal prior to that, but when we allowed retail uh, medicinal. And I think you really did have a lot of mom and pop. You had an individual owner operator. You had a lot of vertical integration. You know, somebody who grew up back and sold out front. And, you know, we were at our high point. I think there were about 120,000 um, cardholders in the state, people who were eligible to purchase that product, which, I mean, that's a decent little egg, but it's not a pile of money. And so when you go from that being the entire um, potential population to sell to, to everyone in the state over the age of 21, um, consolidation makes a whole lot more sense. The, to be an independent owner operator, um, you know, it's just like every other, I think, business and industry inside of this company. You start off at a local hardware store and eventually Walmart's going to gobble it up. Are you, are you insisting, suggesting, hinting that Monsanto or Philip Morris is coming in? I'll do a heck of a lot more than insist on that. I mean, we can show you some of the declassified papers that um, the, the folks who own some major cigarette brands um put out there years and years ago talking about how perfect weed would be for them how they've already got the infrastructure how they've already got the um, space to grow it and monsanto I, I don't know much about them personally but i do know that um or specifically i do know that scott's is um the fertilizer folks yeah they're the largest in the world they're getting really going all in on this weed thing. They're making a line, of, have made a line of cannabis-specific products and um, actually donating a lot of money to the cause. Uh, but yeah, Monsanto, eventually, you better believe it. Like, you can't find corn that hasn't been genetically modified anywhere in Central or South America anymore. Um, give it a minute and, 
you can have the same thing here. I actually know a dude in uh, Boulder who's a member of like a, a true grassroots uh, group of folks who are trying to preserve kind of heirloom quality cannabis seeds because this is not out there anymore. All right, let's back up a little bit. Talk about how you came to this game, got into this, got wrapped up in it, and ended up on this side of it. Um, I got sober in Washington, D.C. on June 15th of 1996. And um, weed was a really big part of my story, man. I, I was young, and I was one of these folks we were talking before um, walking around the facility here, which I can't believe how freaking beautiful this place Thank is. You. Thank like, you. I'm, I'm going to come up every Monday. That's cool. You're welcome to. Come um, on up. I was one of those folks who went from zero to absolute broke in four years. Like there was nothing left for me to to give at, at 18 years old. And um, so when I got sober, uh, I, I had consumed a pretty considerable amount of weed at that point. Again, we were in D.C., so it was pretty real and was on all sides of it. You know, um, middleman selling, buying, consuming, altering, whatever you could do to, to make a dollar or two. But then I was um, pretty quickly progressed to what we refer to in the field as a polysubstance abuser. Um, my drug of choice was more. I, I just kind of liked whatever and I kind of needed to not feel and I couldn't deal with, um, I couldn't deal with the world, man. And so I went to substances and, uh, and other things. So after I got sober, I spent um, I spent a long time kind of trying to put things back in order. There's a lot of work that you have to do, even when you get sober that young. And, and it led to some beautiful things. It led to um, a marriage that I'm, I'm so proud of, a family that I'm so proud of, and ultimately a career inside of this space when I helped start a nonprofit here in Colorado a few years ago and then went to nonprofit substance abuse treatment. Um, so I've spent the last 10 years uh, working inside of the, the field of recovery, which I think we refer too often as, as the field of, of addiction. Or, um, I like the field of recovery because I know a whole lot more about that than I do anything else. So I come at this from the angle of a sober guy, but also from a dad in Colorado, from a concerned Coloradan and somebody who absolutely loves it here and thinks it's about the greatest place in the world. Um, that, that's, that's, I guess what got me thinking about all this and paying attention to it. Okay. So let's jump back into kind of where we left off because it, it, I left off quite frankly with a, with a bad taste in my mouth, hearing words like consolidation, corporation and, uh, fertilization with, especially with Scott and I, I, what happened what happened to the plant? What happened to the 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 old days when you know I'm coming up on 50 here and my day it was still against the man. I had the DEA fly a helicopter over my house. I I only had a couple in that moment, so I was not that much of a worried. But I remember the feeling of thinking that now they got my address right and the paranoia that followed that. But I. I remember where this was an us against them piece. And now there's no separation between us and them anymore. The man's got their hands in this product. What happened to, to pot or pot smokers? What? How come that's not important anymore? Now the man is this product. 
They don't have their hands in it. They own it, man. And people who think that they're still like, yeah, if we, you, you think you're sticking your thumb in the eye of, of the man, like you, you are sitting on his lap, lighting his cigars for him with the hundred dollar <laughs> bills that you're paying to get your ounces now. So what happened to it was groups like the MPP, uh, the Marijuana Policy Project and DPA, the Drug Policy Alliance, took the place of groups like Normal. So Normal had always been all for legalization. And, right. And they had worked for it since, I, I mean, the 70s, I think, right. was when Ken Stroop started it. But like, I don't know, man, they were kind of fun loving. I remember. <laughs> like, like you, you talk about it, and, and you, you, I think the example that I use in the book is I could talk for hours about like biodiesel and Led Zeppelin with these guys, right. like because we have more in common than not. It was free that thing and stop uh, persecuting certain people, particularly certain people. Who, Which, for the record, we we gotta not persecute this these pot smokers. Oh. That persecution is not what I'm looking for. Organization's not the answer. <laughs> it never has been. It, it makes as much sense as this just say no. Like like putting putting users in jail solves nothing except making rich people richer. So if criminalization is not the answer, um, how have we gone? Again, the example I use in the book is is – we're criminalized right now, so we're living down in the bottom of Texas, and we said, well, it's too hot here. I need to move to somewhere cooler, so we move to the top of Alaska, and we go to this full-scale commercialization thing. Like, there's a lot of ground <laughs> between Corpus Christi and Fairbanks. 180 right? degrees of sick is still sick. Yeah. Okay. Yes. So you got people like the MPP and the DPA who came in and normal was tie dye wearing kind of fun petition driving. And then, um, MPP and DPA are $2,000 suit wearing BMW driving professional lobbyists who saw the money in this. And then they, they kept the messaging. They kept the down with racism back to old timey ways. Let, let's make sure that we're putting natural things inside of our substance or our body safer than this. The, um, they kept that messaging very wisely, I yeah. think. And then they threw millions upon millions of dollars into messaging it all over the place. When when I when you broke down here in your book, Weed Inc., when you broke down the lobbyists, the names, <laughs> I cracked up. I was like, the fact that we're talking about lobbyists, the fact that that's okay with with the people who used to be against all of that they don't know it they don't know that it's a thing yeah my publisher called and, and they were like um we need to take this by legal because you're naming a lot of names here i'm like yeah you're not putting pictures in there too <laughs> and you did i'm like wait a second isn't that the guy who also owns and i'm going on my google and i'm like yeah, it is this guy this guy hangs out with the big money this guy's a billionaire and He's making money off of people who think they're getting away with something. There was a fantastic quote um, by the original executive director of the Drug Policy Alliance, the DPA out of New York City. He's a lawyer um, named Ethan Nagelman, and he did a TED Talk a couple of years ago. There's a beautiful and telling quote in it. He says that um, not just marijuana, but drugs. Drugs are, and I quote, an undeveloped global commodity. And if people would step back from that and think about what we're actually saying there, when we turn anything into a commodity, at least here in this country, it's when we ruin it. 
you know, when you, you, you talk about Uruguay and we talk about what's uh, Portugal and then Amsterdam, of course, and they do not have the same style of capitalism that, that we have here. They don't have the same sort of absolute love for the dollar, worship of the dollar that we have here. And what I've found paying attention, trying to pay attention for the last 40 years, is that when you allow something to be a commodity, when you make it a commodity, that's when you start to ruin it, man, because that's when you start to push it on people who might not have used it. It's when you start to um, go out of your way to get something into the hands of people so that you can make more money. All right. So let's bridge that because that's the piece. <clears throat> so 2012 rolls around and I've got I've got two teens at that time. All right. So I know what the battle is like. Also in 2012, I'm full tilt in my work. Uh uh, helping families, trying to recover from all kinds of things, mental health issues, addiction issues, self-harm issues, you name it. So I'm I'm outside on Pearl Street. I'm walking down Pearl Street and flying over CU Stadium is a plane during one of their games, towing a big banner that says two for one back to school bong hits. Yeah, I got pictures of those. They did it over in Vesco Field, Mile High, for those yeah. non-local listeners. The house that John built. <laughs> they did that the um, first few games of the season there, too. There is a marketing machine in place. Um, and when you, when, you, when you study covert persuasion, when you study body language, when you study neuro-linguistic programming, you begin to watch TV different because in 30 seconds, a commercial can have you nodding your head about how miserable your life is and only this product can fix it. Um, and now I feel like anytime marijuana is brought up is a bunch of bobbleheads. Everybody's, oh yeah, it's, it's harmless. It's this, it's that. You said something about drinking the Kool-Aid the last time we talked at that conference. And I, w I want to break down some of the tactics that are being used. Okay. Let, let me first um, very emphatically agree with, with this and throw another word out there, like groupthink, man. And this, um, I think, desire that we all have to be accepted, to be at the cool kids' table, to be a part of the in crowd. Yeah. And this is cool. Like if you, if you go out there and start questioning weed in the world, man, people are going to think, they're going to do what they did to your Facebook. Thing. They it's do it I, every time. It's why I, I actually don't read um, comments because I did for a little while and it was, it was tough for me because like as a sober guy, you try and spend a lot of time not being angry. And some of the things it, it would get hurtful, man, like stuff about my kids. And, yeah. um, and so I think that's the, the, the first part that I want to throw out here is, is that move away from the group thing. Like question some of this stuff that you have been fed and told to believe, because if if you step back from it for a minute and if you question it and if you don't say, oh, listen to those crazy ass prohibitionist losers who just want to slam people into treatment. And the, if, if, if you step back for a minute, and you say, no, these are actually people on the front lines like between Aaron and Ben, they, they got what? For over 40 years of sobriety and have worked with thousands and thousands of families like don't put us into that category maybe listen for a second yeah. and maybe step back and don't join the club i think what you'll see is there have have been and are consistent messaging that takes place across this country that was very specifically polled and put out there so 
I can tell you the first four or five questions I'm going to get at every single talk that I give, uh, and, and, and I talk a lot. And you guys know these talking points because this is what the industry uses. So the very first thing is going to be, well, isn't it safer than alcohol? So you look at the origins of that. A guy named Mason Tavert, who basically quarterbacked the whole effort here in Colorado, was a law clerk in Texas. And um, he decided he was going to kind of make this his issue. So he did a bunch of polling to determine what messaging would ring home the best with the demographic that they would need to swing this vote. And that was basically a soccer bomb, you know, for lack of a better word. And the one that rang the truest was safer than alcohol. And that's in that commercial that was going out about that girl riding home from college. Yeah, that was incredible. Yeah, that, that's exactly what she used. It's safer than alcohol. Well, you so that. For t that language, that, that verbiage is everywhere now. It's way outside of sure. Colorado, but it started here because that resonated with that, you know, 34 to 50 year old female who we had to get to do it. You ask somebody to explain what that means. And again, I'll tell you exactly what they're all going to say. They're going to say, well, there's thousands of deaths every year from alcohol and there's never been a death um, from marijuana. That's patently not true and kind of a crazy thing to say. Um, it's the, 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 there's never been an overdose from there's never been somebody whose heart stopped well, actually there's like three or four examples in the literature but they're crazy fringe um, but there have been tens of thousands of people who have died as a result of their use because you do dumb stuff when you're intoxicated like get behind the wheel and run over people or die yourself. So that's the first one. We, we hear this safer thing all the time and they compare it to alcohol. And when you get down into that, like you, you're not comparing apples and oranges, man, you're comparing like apples and basketballs right. because alcohol affects your brain and your body in completely different ways than cannabis does. Completely and totally different. The only thing they have in common is that they are both intoxicating substances. Um, so then the other thing that you hear is the uh, racial disparity. That's number two. Like, in fact, I have been accused live in person. Um, so somebody told me that all I wanted to do was lock black and brown people up. That was my goal <laughs> in everything that I did. Um, so let me give you a little bit of information about that, man. If you're, if you're not into this, in Colorado, the ratio of black and brown people to white people who are currently being arrested for all cannabis-related crimes is exactly the same as it was before. It's way disproportionate. And then a really funny thing has happened. Colorado Department of Health gave us these numbers. I'll shut up after this. I'm not on target line here. But Colorado Department of Health gave us these numbers. You had post-commercialization because all of the retail is basically in low-income neighborhoods. Go to the Denver Post, uh, uh, read the story that they wrote called, um, it's a very simple title to remember, Most Dispensaries Located in Poor Minority Neighborhoods. So since the dispensaries are located in these neighborhoods, people use it at a disproportionately high rate. So you've had an increase of 8% in the arrest of all white kids. you got to look at youth because yeah. adults never get arrested. Uh, I'm sorry, a decrease in the arrest of white youth by 8%. 8% reduction in the arrest of white kids for all weed-related crimes since opening retail. At exact same time, there has been a 26% increase in the arrest of Hispanic kids and a 58% increase in the arrest of black kids for cannabis-related crimes. So what's happened here and what I push back on is, oh, okay, let's keep talking about the sneeze, everybody, and let's avoid the real conversation about the cold. Because the sneeze is more black and brown people are arrested for um, drug crimes 
than white people. And I don't mean to diminish that by calling it a sneeze. This is a very big issue inside of this country. But the cold, the problem is that more black and brown people are arrested for every single crime across the board, with the exception of some white collar crimes out there. Everyone. So what we're doing is we're pointing at this and we're saying, fix the problem by legalizing drugs. But then we're going to put those drugs in commercializing drugs and we're going to put those drugs in poor minority neighborhoods that have low graduation rates to begin with, don't have enough funding for the things they need. And then we're going to say, well, we tried our best. I don't know why the arrest rates are still disproportionate. The arrest rates are still disproportionate because we have built in racism into the hearts of people inside of this country. Because prosecutors all look like us. Because judges all are rich white men. Because we have an institutionalized process of racism inside of the judicial system. So what they've gotten us to do is to move away from that real conversation. And what, how poverty plays into this. And, and how the generational poverty plays into it. And they have had us say, legalize drugs and less black and brown people will go to jail. So you see how some of these taglines, I mean, back to your original question, like you got a couple of taglines that you know resonate with the right voting demographic. Right. Yo, it's, let's spend millions of dollars promoting those taglines. We've done it before. Enjoy Coca-Cola. Like, like you tell me the, the what's the freaking, we could name a million different slogans of the McDonald's, of the Cokes, of the, they just put enough money into telling us what they want. And, and there's no doubt in anybody's mind that those things are unhealthy. They, McDonald's does not get out there and emphatically deny, I have not heard nor seen it, that their food is unhealthy. Yet you go to the airport and the lines are at McDonald's, right? <laughs> so <laughs> everybody knows that Coca-Cola can, can disintegrate a nail, or, you know, rot your teeth. How many liters are sold? If I was high right now, I would be listening to everything you're saying and be like, man, there's a conspiracy. And I would be putting together in my brain all the things that are connecting this to conspiracy. So I'm I want to go back to my other question. What happened? How come, how come people aren't seeing this? I mean, that original answer, I think, is a good one. It ain't cool, man. That, that's one. And two, all right, when did the Surgeon General write his report about tobacco use? Right. I mean, like we had known what was happening. And I'm not going to give you the date because I'm going to screw it up. But it was years and years and years after we knew how detrimental it was. But you got to remember when, when mass marketing of tobacco started to take place, it was a way healthy thing. Like I got all the ads on my computer about the particular cigarettes that are better for your um, asthma. It'll 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 ignite your T zone, whatever the T zone whatever was. The yeah. More <laughs> doctors prefer this. I mean, crap, man. We were putting packs of um, Paul Moles and Lucky Strikes inside of um, uh, kits that we were sending to American to, to GIs sol soldiers. It was it was part of their mess kits. I remember candy cigarettes. Oh, I remember candy cigars. I remember uh, um, licorice pipes. It was healthy, right? And then even when they knew that it wasn't healthy, there was still this huge lag in the understanding of the American people because they've been marketed to so well. And people should understand how we are marketed to at times when we have no idea that we're being marketed to around the clock, man. Um, and when they finally could no longer promote it 
as healthy and healing, it's still probably decades before, you know, m people in less savvy walks of life realize that it wasn't helpful for them anymore. Mark my words, man, the same thing is going to happen with wheat. 10 years from now, there's, I mean, there's already too much science to argue with. Um, but 10 years from now, the science is going to be absolutely irrefutable. And folks are going to say, okay, actually, um, there are some issues associated with this. Certainly not for everybody and certainly not with everything that you consume. But you cannot consume this product at the rate that people are and expect it to have no um, lasting effects. Yeah, this is, this is what... The people responding to this podcast are going to claim it's not addictive. There are no harmful side effects and no one's ever died. These are these are the three go to's where and and you can Google all three of those things. And you can also Google the, 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 the fact that by February we had 114 road traffic incidents resulting in death with marijuana attached to them in Denver, Colorado. Where they only tested half of the drive. Because exactly because they they what was it that the coroner did not have because the coroner did not test because it's not nothing. It's not nothing. It's not nothing. And it's, it's being played off and packaged and sold like it is. And I still release blanket invitations on Facebook. Come meet the kids, come meet the parents, come, come to my parent weekend. I'll set aside an hour for you to sit up here as a forum and tell these parents that, what their kids have been doing is harmless, not addictive, and there's no negative result as a process. And no one has ever taken me up on this. So here's the reality, I think. I think that to have honest conversations around anything, we've first got to start from a place with some mutual understanding and mutual respect. And I will say first in my conversation with dedicated consumers, even with the industry, I got no beef with casual adult use. I don't care. It's not something that I care about. I also know that there are plenty of people who consume this and don't have an issue with it. Nope. They pick it up and they put it down. It's the same thing as my buddies who can have a whiskey, man. Unfortunately, I can't. But like, there are plenty of people who are not using this in a way that's hurting them and that's hurting their brains and their bodies. Agreed. I'll throw it out. Why can't I get the same thing from people who consume, from people who are so entrenched inside of this industry? Because I say, okay, now see my side of it. Because I've worked inside of chemical dependency in Colorado for the last 12 years because I sponsor lots of guys in the program around here because I spend all my time on the front lines. I'm telling you, this is real. Cannabis-induced psychosis is a thing. Addiction to this substance is a thing. Like the way that it's affecting depression, anxiety, like eating habits of some people. It's a thing. They also make you crazy prohibitionists. You don't know what you're talking about. Oh, I get I get called the names. Not only that, but now it goes as far as people saying you are manufacturing a problem and charging for the solution. <laughs> like, and I, and I, I don't know. I, I don't know what happened to the peace and love. It's all good. You know, everybody's got their rights to believe and you shouldn't be taking my rights away. The idea that I have enough time to get out there and manufacture a problem. Let, let me throw that back on the people who say that a little bit. Yeah. And all love. Um, 
the mental health crisis and the addicting and the addiction crisis that are facing this country right now are not manufactured problems and and that's stigma man and that sort of stigma is what has kept people from getting help for years and years and years so patrick kennedy just wrote a beautiful book about it like it is what's kept people from getting help because folks are like oh it's not a problem depression is not a real thing anxiety is not a real thing bipolar is not a real thing hey man the brain is a part of the body and we need professionals out there like you guys and like the work that y'all do here like what i do with us we need professionals who treat that brain so stop saying that we don't have issues with mental health and addiction inside of this country because um they're pretty significant turn on the freaking news man you don't grab you don't grab a gun and run into a school without a couple other things going on and usually there's mental health and a lot of substance abuse here. In 2012, when recreational marijuana was greenlit, um, I had discovered that there was something else that brought in the idea that um, this is not a harmless nothing. And that's what we keep saying, is it's not nothing. What I had found out uh, was in listening to a talk given by a Colorado Bureau of Investigations officer and a state police investigator, was that in 2012, Colorado also became number two in the United States for child trafficking. And they explained it as such, where there's tourism, there's prostitutes. And prostitutes are brought places. They're not stationary. They're not, they're not, they're not static. It's a fluid industry and will move to where events are happening. Super Bowls, for example. And we can all think back to news articles and news programs about how much uh, prostitution, how many people are arrested. And when I say people, obviously I'm talking about men. In 2012, because Colorado's tourist tourism industry took another shot in the arm, um, the other industry that took a shot in the arm was child trafficking. And Colorado was number two in the US. And a lot of people don't know the statistics. And we can argue back and forth about the statistics around, um, you know, how many people have died in a car accident. We can argue back and forth around um, weed, is, weed has been proven by the FDA to be effective for this and this, but they're still doing it at 10% THC. So they don't know what this 99% is doing on a blah, blah, blah back. And so forth. I don't know anything about Colorado and what's going on there. But my guess is that the people who you listen to probably have something to do with HIDA. So there's some great data in that, the high intensity drug trafficking areas, they put the reports out. So that's where it would be. But I remember, and then just Google, while we were sitting here reading an article about sex trafficking abuse in the marijuana industry um, in Humboldt County. And so there, there was a, um, it, the reporting, went all over the place because it was uh, very well um, received and very well researched and was great stuff. But the one that just came up for me is on um, Reveal News. You know, while we're talking, I'll, I'll give everybody who actually wrote it, but this was published all over the place in all sorts of major publications. And she did a kind of long-term deep dive into sex trafficking around the cannabis industry in Humboldt. Um, so yeah, it's not specific to weed. Anytime there's drugs and tourism, there's people selling kids. Yeah, and Colorado's got a lot of tourism. We've got skiing, and we've got hunting, and we've got sports teams, and we've got you know beautiful hiking and athletics, and 
like and and weed was another piece i'm not under any illusion that legalization is going to stall out or stop i think we're it's it's going to be an all 50 state thing oh cnn it was on cnn it was on cnn yeah human trafficking in the marijuana industry is what it's called so it's it's good we're we're in a we're in a a one-way street on this thing there might be a few holdout states but this is this is going this direction People can find the research to support their argument. Whatever their argument. Whatever their <laughs> argument is. <laughs> so I think where what that leaves you and I is how do we support the parent? Now, whether you're a smoking parent or not, mm-hmm. we don't want our kids smoking. It's, right. it's not good for developing brain. Neither is smoking cigarettes or drinking alcohol right. or playing football, apparently. Anymore. <laughs> so, so we we want to support the parents. Yeah. But kids are more um savvy at getting these google facts so let's let's give parents some tips on you 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 catch your kids smoking weed and maybe you hate it maybe you hate the idea and hate the idea of them doing it before 21 or 18 or or hate it period it is against your value system your own personal value system but your kids got all the answers yeah right it's not harmful it's non-addictive and there's no side effects first of all let's be completely and totally clear with an inarguable fact pre-myelination for boys that's about 26 years old (laughs) 28 if you're lucky (laughs) for girls 24 ish pre-myelination nobody should be putting thc into their brains so um, it is not good at all for the developing brain. The myelination is a big word for frontal lobe development. Think about it, a, a phone that has a case on being dropped versus a phone that doesn't have a case on it being dropped. Right. We wait until people are 26. We don't have these issues. People start consuming earlier. We have those issues. So even the most hardened proponent of cannabis, if they're being honest about it, is going to be real frank about ju- youth use. It shouldn't happen. And shouldn't is the word that, that I said. Well, the kids shouldn't be smoking it. But they and, are. But they are. <laughs> and the parent is saying, my kid shouldn't be doing this. I raised them better. And they and the shouldn't and the shouldn'ts and the shouldn'ts. And, and at the facility, we say, well, now you're shooting all over it. <laughs> right? So I got a chapter in here called How to Respond at What 17-Year-Olds Throw at You. Um, I think that you got to recognize a couple of things. They are going to be very, very... Um, informed or at least pseudo informed on this issue. So know your stuff before you sit down with them and be prepared to pick which hills you're going to die on and which ones you're going to let pass because you don't want to end up splitting hairs over the benefits of CBD when it's an anti-convulsant <laughs> when your kid is smoking concentrate. That's the other finger point one. You start talking about marijuana, next thing you know, the guy's saying, well, CBD oil stops Parkinson's and on and on. You're like, I was yeah. talking about your 15-year-old. I'm talking about the 15-year-old <laughs> who's dabbing. You're right. not talking about Marinol and Sativex. And so pick the hills you want to die on. And the one that I would encourage you to die on is a kid shouldn't smoke weed. It's not good for your brain. And since we live in a world that is almost, what's the right word, um, <laughs> uh, post-abstinence, they should consume less of it and they should consume less strong stuff. So that's one that you want to die on. And I'll give this advice to parents or to uh, 
husbands, wives, partners, whatever, don't have these conversations when you're angry. Because uh, here's how this plays out, man. You're my kid, and you come home at 2 o'clock in the morning, and I've told you a dozen times, damn it, Aaron, you get high one more time, and you go into freaking Fire Mountain, man. And you come home at 2 in the morning, and you're baked out your brain, and I'm freaking pissed because I've been sitting up since 11. I've been trying to talk to your mom about it. I've been, you walk in, and I sit down right now, young man. You and I are going to have a serious conversation, damn it. You know what I've been through? You know what? You know what shuts off <laughs> quicker than the 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 lights when they go upstairs and they walk out of the room? What shuts off quicker than anything is that kid's brain. Because you were coming at it from a place of anger, from a place of aggression. You have these conversations when you're in a good place. Not only that, but your kid's baked. How much do you think they're actually going to be able to converse, remember? You know, they, this, is, this is such an important piece. And, and, and folks, what Ben is saying right now, it is a key component of parenting. Don't do it when you're angry. You got time. You've got yes. time. When I want to have difficult conversations with my wife, like, hey, baby, I just spent $600 in preference points in the state of Colorado for big game hunting, which I actually did this morning. Maybe you should listen to this. <laughs> this is how you're telling her? <laughs> oh, no, I totally told her. Already. Ooh, by text? <laughs> you, you, you do it over a nice dinner. You wake up and you cook breakfast. You let somebody know that you love them. And for some reason, interventions when it comes to mental health and substance abuse, we do the opposite of that. We do it when we're the maddest. We do it when the crisis is the worst peak. Oh. The water's boiling. You know what, man? If that if they did it again, and if there's no more warnings and second chances, and you need to intervene, you wake up in the morning and cook them their favorite breakfast, and let them roll out of bed at eleven, and sit at the table with them and eat, and let them know that you love them, and then start asking them some questions. You know, there's a there's a conversation that has to be had, but I, I have to say, I'm going to mention it, but I don't I don't know if it's fair for us to have it because both you and I have seen the horrid side effects of marijuana use. We have worked with the children who have gone into psychosis. I have been on the phone with a child who is in the hospital telling me he is the living Christ. And then I hear from his parents how much he's putting away a day into his body. Not come out. Yeah, I have too. I have had to put kids in ambulances to go to permanent facilities. Permanent, not boarding school for a year, permanent facilities. So when a parent asks me, you know, what's the big deal about smoking pot? I've got the horror stories that I can fill them with. But, the, but again, the truth of the matter is, is that if this kid's been smoking pot, three, four times a week, and, and maybe now they're up to twice a day and they're getting high at school, um, I can honestly tell the parent, look, there's something else going on. Like, like there is something else going on. But if you tell me the kid's smoking meth twice a week, I can tell you your kid's addicted to meth. But I, gotta, I can't quite bring myself to say you need to put your kid into treatment because they're smoking a lot of pot. You need to put your kid into treatment because they're smoking a lot of pot, because there's something going on. It is mental ibuprofen. It is, it is the numbing agent of emotions. And if you're wondering why your 15-year-old kid is acting like a 12-year-old and you're mad at how much pot they smoke, it's time to put those things together. Mm -hmm. 
how does a parent know when it's gone beyond the normal teen use or the experimentation? What is? What would you tell a parent? I said, I think my kid's just experimenting. Is it getting in the way? Hmm. Is it getting in the way? Like if if you got a kid who and a really dear friend, man, somebody I love a lot, whose kid experimented his senior year, and he just experimented, and that was it. And he, we sat down, he's super involved dad, amazing dad, sat down and talked with him and, and loved on him and worked it out with him. And, and then I got to have a couple conversations with him, but the kid was just experimenting. But my conversations were still the same. They were like, hey man, look at this. You got the world by the, by the strings. Like you can do anything you want to. This is gonna make it a little bit harder in all likelihood. So even that kind of casual use, I tell him, you wanna do this? You just wait until you're old enough. Like wait until it wouldn't be illegal. Really, it, legal should be 25 or 26, but right. obvious make laws, not scientists. Um, I would keep pushing back on them with this. And I would be very aware that the parent's perception is very, very impactful on the kid's use. If you treat it like it's no big deal, it's gonna be no big deal for them. But if you have that talk with them and let them know that you're paying attention, um, it, it, it'll be easier. So here's the here. OK, so let's break out a couple of rules of thumb. I work inside of the professional athletic worlds a lot with um, young guys who are paid lots of money um, but aren't fully myelinated yet. And they smoke a lot of weed. And I tell them the same thing, man. If this is something that's going on more than a couple times a week, you got to ask yourself some real questions. You ask yourself some hard questions. If you're using concentrates, so for those of you not familiar, concentrates, dabbing, etc. Edibles? Um, it, no, I won't go there yet because the difference is the potency. If somebody's using concentrates, that's a hit the red panic button. You're talking about glass shatter. Yeah. Um, wax. Wax. Water. Okay. If you got a kid using concentrates, that's an issue that I would hit the panic button for. If you got a kid consuming multiple times a week, that's something that I would break the glass on and make some phone calls and get some professionals involved. Because there's a huge difference between my buddy's son who got high a couple times a senior year and the kid who's smoking concentrates three times a day. A big difference. Think about it if you want to. The way we all think about intoxication with alcohol, if you had a buddy who got drunk watching the Final Four, um, you probably wouldn't say too much. If you had a beer or two at a game, you probably wouldn't say too much. But if he was coming home three, four times a week and tying one on, you'd be concerned. I've never met anybody who smoked weed for the taste. They all are smoking it to get high, to be intoxicated. Unlike booze, you have a beer or two, you know, you have a glass of wine with a thing. Like the reason they're using it is to get intoxicated. If someone's trying to get intoxicated multiple times a week, come on, man, you don't need a PhD for that one. You know, one of the, the other piece that I throw at parents is, you know, they, they get into the, the addict. It's not, I'm, it's not addictive, right? It's not, the kid's saying it's not addictive. You can't get addicted to marijuana. Say so drop that drop that conversation with the kid. Just stop that one because they can Google fact you to death on that one, and you can Google fact them to death right back, and you can do it right to a standstill. Here's my here's my take, and you and I talked about this earlier. If you're lying, if you're stealing, if you're sneaking, yeah. if you're hiding, 
if it's causing problems for other people, if it's causing problems for you, your grades have gone down because you're ditching class to get high with your friends, and then now you've got an MIP because you got picked up outside, and now you've got court fines, and your mom had to come home from uh, leave work early to come pick you up, and she's now you've got to meet with the truancy officer and the court, and you're on diversion, and you've got to get the community service. That's impacting multiple people's life. It's not a victim. It's, I shouldn't be arrested. It should totally be legal. Whether it is or not, you are now impacting your family's life. So if there's lying, stealing, sneaking, cheating, or impacting other people's life or creating dysfunction in your own, it's a problem. And it doesn't matter what it is. Fill in the blank. It's weed. Okay. It's not weed. It's gambling. Okay. It's not gambling. It's porn. It's mayonnaise. It's, it's, it's whatever. It's getting exercise. In the way. Is, it getting in the way? is it getting in the way? And if it's getting in the way, let's take a hard look at it. And then let's realize that when we start justifying things that are getting in the way, we are making some pretty typical behavior that looks like things that addicts do. We are getting, if, if we're saying, yeah, but, yeah, but, yeah, but, that one of the things that I love to have people do, especially young folks, because um, working a lot with this issue, yeah, I, I get called a lot of names, <laughs> but, but I also get a ton of phone calls and a ton of people say, man, how do I help? What do I do? What do I, here's my advice, like encourage them to take 60 days off. Like when you got Not kids, 30, that's important, not 30. Full cycle. Full cycle, 60. Marijuana stays in the system till 30 days. We, we see kids, we can set our watch when we have a kid who's been struggling with heavy marijuana use. And they come into the facility. They're there for other reasons as well. But we set our watch to the 28-day mark. And you can wake up, hit the alarm, and you can see the depression. You can see it. It's out of their system. And you're like, there you are. That's why you smoke. You, you know what's crazy is... Um, it actually exacerbates those conditions. Oh. So it's contraindicated for depression, anxiety, Anx bipolar disorder, um, because you're not putting like an FDA approved dose regulated medication inside your body. You're putting like something, some dude group. But you're also, <laughs> you are also, and this is one that's going to drive the users crazy, but this is the research and, and I'll back my research up to yours any damn day of the week. Marijuana copies anandamide in the brain. Anandamide is a feel-good chemical released in excess when you are in the womb. As you smoke marijuana, and it's copying anandamide in your brain, your brain stops producing anandamide, and it creates a craving. And it takes about 30 days for your brain to start firing up its anandamide production again. Hmm. And it's a neurotransmitter. News to me, I'll look into that one. It, it is no different than the dopamine that you would see in some of the other drugs with the, with the exception that it does not destroy the receptors like meth does. Oh, yeah. Right? Because that's the problem. And with heroin. Heroin, they have found that they can regrow the, the receptors. Meth, they're saying, ah, those are gone. So you've got to create, uh, uh, you've got to create that, that happy experience elsewhere. Well, here, here's the interesting thing we do know about THC as well, is that we have cannabidiol receptors all through our entire body. Right. So it's way more than just impacting here. It's through our whole, uh, um, basically our whole nervous system. So there are whole body effects to somebody quitting. And then there are whole brain effects to somebody quitting. So when I get this one, when, when a kid says to me, it's not addictive, it can't be addictive, it's a plan, it's a... Um, so I spend enough time at scientific conferences that I can have that. 
I, the the debate back and forth you said you have, like, I think I can end that. I can give the absolutes <laughs> for it because there's diagnostic criteria, right. objective diagnostic criteria. Right. I don't do it. I say, All right, man, that's cool. Like, it's it's not so you're not addicted. Here's how it plays out. You're not addicted. Absolutely, I'm not addicted. So you can stop anytime. Yeah, man. Will you quit for 60 days? And during those 60 days, will you just do two things for me? Like, will you write down a little thing every day, even if it's like, oh, I can't believe this guy made me write this. I hate that dude. I wish that he would wreck his motorcycle. Or if it's today, I felt this, fill in the blank. Would you do that for me? And would you have somebody in your life who you can call if it gets a little scary? That's it. That's all I'm asking you to do. And if the answer back is, yeah, man, no problem. I go 60 days all the time. I go 60 days every single football season, every single baseball right. season. I'm not very worried. But if the answer is, oh, no, 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 I need it to treat my depression, my PTSD, my anxiety, my and you got a 16, 17-year-old kid telling you this, yeah. I need it to, I, I should be using it prophylactically to prevent ever getting testicular cancer. It'll keep me from, they say these things. Oh, it was amazing how many suddenly good boys in college had glaucoma. It was like, oh, my gosh, all these very unhealthy 22 year olds. Like what happened to our culture? I disagree with the American Glaucoma Society. So if I say that to them, if they start coming up with excuses or if they start saying, oh, I won't be able to sleep, I won't be able to eat, I won't like all of those are, are technical signs and symptoms, according to the DSM of withdraw from yeah. and withdraw from cannabis today is a diagnosable billable condition. Whereas five years ago, it was not because a four or 5% THC leaf that you smoke isn't physically addictive. A 30% plant, a 90% concentrate is. So if the kids start to freak out a little bit and if they're like, ah, man, I don't know if I could do that, then you need to support them and you need to encourage them and you need to say, I'll bet you could and you can prove me wrong. And I swear you do this, I will shut up but you got to do this for real. And you also have to hold the accountability for them of relapse. I've heard an incredible quote recently that relapse is not part of recovery. It's part of addiction. And that, <laughs> yeah, that that's a game changer quote right there. Because if within that 60 days, the kid sneaks a hit just to, just to ease the stress of the day, because maybe it was a really crappy day. You forgot the homework, you failed the test, your girlfriend walked off with your who you thought was your best friend, and so you go get high just so you can make it. What do you think addicts do? Every single day we find a reason that life is too hard to get through without. It has become a coping mechanism. And when a substance becomes a coping mechanism, when anything else, to your example, uh, math, mayonnaise, pool, whatever, when they become coping mechanisms, when you use them to alter the way that you feel, especially as a kid whose brain is developing and neural pathways are being created, we are telling them this is how you solve stress. And, and I, am, I am telling you from the inside of the industry of working with addiction and mental health, I had a kid many years ago who, who was in for his drug use. Parents said, I don't care if he smokes pot, but he's using cocaine and all this kind of stuff. And the kid kept saying, well, my parents drink every night, but my parents drink every night. So I finally confronted the parents on it and they taught me a big lesson that night because I said, so we're, your, your son's telling me that you get drunk every night. You're drinking every night and you're getting drunk. And he said, the father said, well, we don't get falling down drunk. 
And I suddenly realized that no matter where the line is of addiction, the addict can always push it one point farther. Look, I never did cocaine. (laughs) I never did cocaine in four, uh, 12 of my 14 years of using, I never thought I was an addict, right? Because I never did cocaine, because I never tried heroin. Oh my God, can I tell you how much LSD I did? No. But that is a byproduct of, okay, let's even move away from a loaded word like addiction, from distorted thinking. From distorted thinking, right. It's a byproduct of it saying, well, maybe not this, maybe that. So if you get a kid who says, yeah, I mean, I'm going to give you 60 days and they can't, and you got to test, they'll agree to test. Agree to testing. Like you have to test because unvalidated just makes people lie to one another. Um, Like, and if they can't do it, I get a little bit nervous. Or if you have a kid who's like, absolutely not, I won't do it, that's stupid, I enjoy it, I needed a leg, blah, 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 I'm going to the concert, that, okay, give me 30 days. Give me 30 days. Negotiate down to 30. And it's not what it should be. Like 60 days, you sure. full cycle. And then emotions start to come out at the end, and then what they've written, because they're in the habit of it, has gone from, this is stupid, I hate this, or it's Wednesday, I'm going to bed, to like some really real stuff. Um, it can be an incredibly powerful intervention and it's not something that you're like forcing on them. You're inviting them to be a part of it. That's awesome. Like, you know what? That's crazy. Cause I grew up in dare and they always told me that you could get addicted to it. And they always said it was, but like, clearly, you know, a lot about it. Like you got all these facts with it. Um, prove it, prove it to me. And don't say like, don't be a dick. Like, <laughs> like show me demonstrate that to me, prove that I'm wrong with this. Give me 60 days and then I'll talk to your mom for you. Give me 60 days. So we're left here, here at the end of our show with, I think, I think some, some frustrations that, that we can begin with. Um, You and I are, are in this battle of, of marijuana and its effect on children. It's effect on our culture. It's effect on our society. There are a lot of people who are on the opposite side. When we do shows like this, when you write a book like we do, <laughs> when you do your uh, your TED talk, when I when I do a podcast, my Facebook page fills up with people accusing, name calling, doing all kinds of stuff. But quite frankly, I can take it. I this this part, I'll stand here doing this as long as a parent knows that they can call me and we'll have a really real conversation about what's going on with their kid. But here we are, look, it's going to get legalized. This is going to happen. I think you and I could both, we we wanted to talk about whether it's a plant or not. You know, it was. It was, right. It was. It was. was. So was cocaine. So was heroin. You know what? They went and ruined weed. That's (laughs) it. Didn't they? They ruined weed. They ruined weed for everybody. It was a plant, and then they freaking ruined weed. And now there's planes flying over football stadiums saying two for one back to school bong hits. And there are cartoon and half-naked women in newspaper articles advertising a medical strain called bumblebee kick butt or whatever. You know, these are not medical names. There are waxes with 99% THC that you smoke on a superheated needle. There are... You you heat the bowl with a small blowtorch, and then like you crack. drop the needle in and and quickly inhale the smoke. Correct. Yeah. Like, there are 
words being used to describe parts of the plant that no one's ever used before or been aware of, like like our terpenes and like the multiple kinds of TAC, um, the the deltas one through nine, and the like. It used to be a plant, man, and now it is an engineered product that is a money making machine. It it maybe. Maybe it's not addictive. I don't believe that, but maybe it's not. Maybe I'm wrong. But I I watch people lie, still cheat, and act like a thief. I used to run my children's program out of this beautiful little two-story warehouse building, okay? And next to me, a grow-up came in. And what would happen began as the kid saying it smells funny in here and end up with the munchies because of what was going on next door. So I knocked on their door and said, sorry, I was here first and I run a children's program. And these are the times that my children are here during the day. After that, smoke out. And their response was the next day when I came into my office, I had been broken into and had my office flipped upside down. Miracle of miracles, no one else got broken into. And I got a lot of uh, 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 daggers the next day of, of guys standing outside of my office looking at me with expectations. So I moved because I'm not going to put the children coming to my programs in this. This is not what it was. I don't care what people tell me it is for them. Because I know what it was for me, and I know what it is for the kids and the families that I work with. And now, with your book, Weed Inc., what I got from your TED Talk, what I got from your book, is that it's nothing special. It's lost all of its heart. It's lost all of its coolness. It's lost all of its anti-establishment. And now it's pure anti-establishmentarianism. It's just another McDonald's and Starbucks. It is. It is. And and the, the marketing machine, the money machine, it's in full play. And so I want to see some people pony up. Some adult white men, 33 years and older with kids, pony up and say, dude, I just want to get high. I just want to forget my shitty day and get high. Because hey, that's okay, man. I, who's going to come down on you? Who's going to come down on you? Tell me you want to get high. Just stop telling me that it's going to solve a hunger in Africa. It will not save this that world. It's gonna fit, that it's going to kill cancer. That it's going to... Fine. Get high. Get high. I've never cared about it. I've never... But stop telling kids that it's harmless and it's never going to hurt anybody and it never has hurt anybody. It's better than this and this and this and this. Stop. We, we see the results of everybody knowing that cigarettes are bad. That's right. But people smoking in front of their children. We see the That's results right. of everybody saying, you know, you got to really watch that alcohol intake. But then we name our stadiums the Coors Stadium. And we name, and in the movies, all the fun, cool people. And in the, we know what happens when it goes this route. How about the opiates? Right. Like, how about this country finally coming to grips with the fact that we have identified one of the largest killers in our country, and it's opiates, mm-hmm. and we still can't seem to control this? Like, ask yourself why. Like, Purdue freaking Pharma is why. Like, the people who manufacture and then push this, the direct-to-consumer marketing that bypasses the docs who do it, that's why. It's not because they invented some miracle, super addictive substance. There's lots of substances that work way better than that to form a quick physical addiction for you. It's because they built a marketing machine around it. 
So I think I think where I want to go with all this frustration, because I'm using this one to round out my MJ Madness series. Oh, I'm I talking. We were just getting pissed. <laughs> I, I am. But but here's what I want to go with this. Because I you're if you're one of those adults who are smoking and posting and you're getting high in front of your kids and you're driving and you're letting your kids see it and you're telling them that it's not so bad. And you're arguing with people like me and Ben, making up shit to, to try to accuse us so that you can feel better about the fact that you got high. If you're lying, stealing, sneaking, cheating, then you're the one who's dealing. You're the one who's pitching this to children. You're trying to make this part of everyone's life. And not everybody wants this. And you know what? It's going to be legal. So that's not what this conversation was ever about. It was about if you got a problem, ask for help. And if you don't, stop trying to get on people who are trying to help people with problems. Yeah, think. Can I come back to the beginning and just like think, 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 think. And I don't mean that to be mean. I don't mean, but, but I'm saying like one of the greatest things that this industry's done, and I don't have other examples, but I'm not a student of this is to take a message and to implant it into like a grassroots package. So their corporate messaging has been like distilled down into the hundreds of thousands of people writing the blogs and commenting on sections and getting newsletters from, I get all the same newsletters too. I've signed up for all of them, get the newsletters from it. Like what you're saying, like would you take a step back and consider that like, Am I taking part in a messaging and marketing machine right now? Or is this actually like a thought that has come from here that I've puzzled out, that I've wrestled with, and that I'm taking out to the world? Because typically the ones that you do that with um, don't look like everybody else's. Parents, uh, Ben here, who I met at a, at a conference, uh, his TED talk. Just look him up. Look him up. Ben Court, C O R T. Um, just go to YouTube. Type in Ben Court. His his talks will be there, and all his hate mail will be there too. <laughs> <laughs> ben, how else are families going to find you? How's how's a facility going to find you when they need your help? Um, I'm actually. I don't have a minute of time right now, but if there's uh, if if anybody needs to reach out to me non professionally, I got a website that's Court Consult. Um, dot com. I couldn't get consulting. I guess somebody own it. Um, and and I'll tell you, like the I, I do get a lot of those phone calls about adolescents and how to help out and how to um, and like really, man, I direct them to professionals like you guys. Like I think there's a couple people doing real solid adolescent treatment in in this country. Um, call people who know what they're doing there. Call these guys first. Be more than welcome to reach out. And again, like I get three emails telling me what a terrible human being I am and wishing that my kids get hit by buses for every nice one. So feel free to send whatever. I usually don't reply. So. <laughs> Unless it's about helping somebody. If it's about helping somebody, I'm with you. <laughs> His book is Weed Inc. The Truth About THC, the Pot Lobby, and the Commercial Marijuana Industry. My guest has been Ben Court. Parents, the rule, as always, you take care of yourself first. You take care of your adult relationship second. You take care of your children third. 
because in that way, we are going to do our best work with our children. Uh, my guest has been Ben Court. Ben, this is the first of many conversations with you. Oh, yeah. I'd like uh, to be up on stage with you and be hammering on this. Um, parents, pick up his book. It's going to give you the information you need to have the uh, conversations with your brilliant 17-year-old <laughs> who is just smoking too much weed. And uh, and for for all the the token trolls and the and the uh, the reefer rebels out there who think that uh, I am some conspiratorialist token mule. Troll. That's a good one, isn't it? Damn. Token trolls, reefer, reefer rebels. I'm not interested. You know, your your arguments, I, I was telling Ben on the way we were walking to lunch, and I, this is what I told him. I said, I've been there. I know your arguments. In fact, I was in the game long enough ago that I helped invent some of those arguments. I'm the one who helped establish those facts. You're still puking back to me. And I was a grower. I was a dealer. I was a multiple times a day. It was time for a shower. I had to smoke up. It was time for work. Had to smoke up. Driving to work, smoking up. At work, got to smoke up. On the way home, got to smoke up. Oh, it's time to be with my daughter. Better smoke up. That was me. And so there's nothing about weed that I don't know, but there is something about not having weed that I do know that you may not. And that's that I know the freedom uh, of life without it. That just feels good. It does. And, and if you want what I have, then I got some love for you. I've got some support for you. You can always hit me up on Facebook. Um, but you can take your anger elsewhere. You can take your frustration with the fact that I don't agree with it. You can take it. Uh, and if you can't, then maybe you got a problem. This has been Aaron from Beyond Risk and Back. We'll talk next week. Thank you for joining us for another episode of Beyond Risk and Back. Join us each week for your connection to experts in adolescent health and wellness, recovery, and responsibility. And also to listen to teens talk about their lives in crisis. For more information on our program for struggling teens or me, please go to firemountainprograms.com. Join us on Facebook at Fire Mountain Residential Treatment Center or at Beyond Risk and Back. Visit our YouTube channel at Fire Mountain RTC for even more support with our parent training videos. Special thanks to Mental Health News Radio for their continued love and support of our program. Please go to mentalhealthnewsradio.com to see all of their podcasts. Feel free to email me at Aaron at firemountainprograms.com. <laughs>